Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts with innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Context. We are joined today by my brother, Mo Williams, head basketball coach at Salisbury University in Maryland. Coach, thank you for being here. Appreciate having you. Man, I don't know if I got a better intro than that one. So that was impressive first off. And then, man, I'm just honored to be on here after all the great coaches and administrators you've had on here. So thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. I think you got a lot of value to add. It's been fun. 
getting to know you in our men's group and looking forward to seeing what you have to add and offer since you are all about service to the rest of the coaching world. So if you don't mind, and take this wherever you want to go with it, but take us through your coaching background. How'd you get into it? What was the process when you landed your first job, be it assistant, the head coaching job you have now? And what did you learn just in the initial part that you were able to take with you to the next job that you, that you went to? And we'll dig into that a little bit later, but I'm really just curious about your background, how you got into it and where things sit right now. Man, that is a loaded question. I'm going to take my time with it, but I'm going to try not to uh, talk too much. Where coaching became something that I've really been intrigued with is being a player. So probably no different than a lot of people playing the game of basketball, being fortunate to go on from high school to college. But I was the type of player that loved to be coached. And it's funny you asked this question because I went through some old notes the other day and it was grading on like your shooting ability, ball handling ability, all these things. And the highest category that I got was coachability. And I've always just enjoyed learning. I've always just enjoyed feedback. And then the game of basketball has been just so monumental in my life and, and my development of who I am. But that came from Justin being a player. My dad played Division One college basketball. He played at a school called Charleston Southern. He's 6'8". My mom's 5'2". Yeah, I got that medium range there of being 6'4". I played Division Three basketball at a school called Frostburg State, which is now Division Two. So that's where my career started, was being at the Division Three level. And when I got the call for that first job, it was at a school called Eastern University, which is a small Christian college right outside the Philadelphia area, man, I was excited. And I was the type of coach that you couldn't have told me that Eastern wasn't my Duke University. I came in every single day. I loved it. I loved who I worked for. And him and I had a special relationship because of how we got to know each other. He was a division one assistant. I was a basketball player, just wanting to work camp, make some money on the side. And that's where that love came from. And he expressed to me that my execution of coaching little kids was like, it just stood out. So I, he knew when getting a, a head division three job that I would be someone he wanted to talk to and consider. So very fortunate of that being my, my first you know job. I was a graduate assistant. And then my next job was actually where I am now, which is Salisbury University. So my familiarity with here was being a player in the conference here. Uh, I got a long story on my connection up here, if you ask a question towards that, I have no problem sharing it. But I work for a great guy named Josh Merkel, who was the national coach of the year at our level. He's the head coach at Randolph-Macon now. So I've learned from an incredible person who, who not only is a great coach, but a great teacher of the game. Then I got the opportunity to return back to my alma mater and play for my college head coach. Then I got married and worked at a school in Baltimore area. And the head coach named Gary Stewart, who was the old head coach at UC Davis. So I worked with Gary Stewart for a year there and then I got hired at Johns Hopkins University and worked for another incredible coach named Josh Leffler and then got a call and a very unique opportunity to go with a friend of mine who was at UMBC and got hired at a school called Longwood University and Griff Aldridge was an incredible leader and what he's done there and being able to be a part of one of the biggest turnarounds in Division I basketball during my time there was special. 
and this job opened up and I put my name in the hat. They had some familiarity with me and I'm big into my faith. So I know God aligned that timing and the people at the right time. And I've been here ever since and finished my, my second year here. Great story. It is quite interesting to think about for people that are not familiar with the East Coast where you are and most of the schools that you mentioned as a West Coast guy, Hopkins jumps out, know about Randolph making a little bit, but the rest of those are speaking a different language to me. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how you were able to seize opportunities as they came up and maximize those to allow for growth individually, professional growth, and not necessarily positioning so that you could take a different job, but positioning yourself so that in the event something that was a fit came available, you were ready. Because again, you mentioned that first job was your Duke and you dove into it like that. And every job you've been at knowing you, I'm sure that was the same thing. But at the same time, there are people out here that may not understand, oh, hey, that's a great job because it's going to give me the opportunity to do X and build myself as Y. Can you speak a little bit about that and what you've learned and how you've been able to utilize that to grow as both a coach, a person, and everything else that you want to do to give back? Yeah, great question, man. For me, I've always worked every job regardless of pay, and you understand this as a coach. You know, those first couple years, for me, it was about six years. You're not making any money. But I've always worked every one of those jobs as if it was going to be my last. And I say this as well. I'm nothing more than a harvest of seeds that were planted in me ever since I was a kid. And one of those seeds that my mother and my parents planted in me is you never know who's watching you. You never know. And that first job, I, I had no idea I was going to get that I knew the individual that got hired as a head coach but there was no when I graduated from college saying hey you need to hire me or no special emails the opportunity just presented itself but the character piece and a sense of working as if you never know who's watching you is why I've gotten where I am and each one of those places you take something from and I tell people all the time I have a very unique background because being a younger coach, you would think hearing all those jobs, I would be in my late 40s, where in reality, I'm in my early 30s. So a lot of those places were one year, one year. In fact, I was telling my wife the other day, it's crazy to think that this is the longest I've been in a place going uh, to three years now. The longest I've stayed anywhere was two years. But, you know, you Justin, to answer that question, man, you, you invest in yourself you invest in the opportunity to learn from really good people. And again, it's the opportunity to learn from a guy like Josh Merkel, who's the head coach at Randolph-Macon, who's national coach of the year. Uh, I've never been around an individual that was hungrier for growth more than him. And just to give you a short story, you get a lot of text messages and tweets about being national coach of the year. He, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He immediately is thinking about how can I get better? What else can I read? He picks my brain as if I won more games than him. That's a seed that's been planted in me. And then obviously you being a West Coast guy, the success that Gary Stewart's had, being a head division one coach and his time at Laverne and all those other places. Josh Leffler, who's the head coach at Johns Hopkins, who's done an incredible job. 
And then I think for me, Justin, I don't like the word mentor or being someone's mentor. To me, that means you're higher than me and I'm trying to ask you questions to get on your level. I love the term community. I want to build a community of people. And what that means to me is we're all around the same level. You're just continuing to help push me forward to where I want to go. And it's the same thing with you. And I consider you being a part of that community with me. It's funny, this pandemic has allowed us to build relationships with people you never meet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm very fortunate of that. So that's really where it's come from for me. That's where I've been able to grow as a coach. And then I just believe there's no finish line. So how can I continue to grow and get better? Considering you mentioned the word community instead of mentorship, I'm going to ask a follow-up that I did not prepare for, which is the names that you rattled off. And yeah, obviously I know G Stu as a fellow Aggie for a while, and he was out here and did great work during the transition period when Davis moved to division one. But I want to know, because you just described what you think of more as a symbiotic relationship rather than, Hey, I'm working for, and this hierarchical deal, right? It's we're giving and we're taking and, and we're building one another. What if you could share a tidbit here or there, have you taken away and continue to utilize from each of those guys, if you have it, or just a couple, if they're front of mind, and what do you think you were able to give that you can still see the fingerprints of in those programs? Yeah, I'll give you from each job if you don't mind, but the first one and the guy that I work for at that job at Eastern, if you know him, there's no surprise at all how he's moved from coaching to now he's administrator. He's the AD at a school in Wisconsin called Carthage University. And what I learned from him was his ability to build relationships. And I'll never forget being in the office after practice. If he really got on a guy, he would immediately jump on his phone or spend time with that guy. And I would always ask, Coach, what are you doing? And he would always say, man, I had a really good practice. Justin had a really good practice. I have to remind him of his value. And that's something that I do without even noticing and, and really starting to take notice to it now being a head coach because I learned that from him. Mm-hmm. So reminding guys of their value and reminding them if they did a really good job today or reminding them, hey, you need to improve in, in that certain area. From that job, I, I learned that along with other things. Being at Salisbury, the opportunity to win and, and learn from a, a young Josh Merkel, who's now Randolph-Macon. And again, just the questions, the way he recruited in a sense of, uh, there was a book we read, it's called QBQ question by question is what it was called but he had us read it as a staff and and it forced us to ask better questions as we're recruiting guys there was a process in recruiting each individual I always just spotted the talent when I spotted them I'd send it to them but I've never met somebody more intentional on consuming information using information and then pushing other people around you to grow and, and continue to contain information and then learning from, from Coach Stewart, I've never worked for a guy where you can be anywhere and he knows somebody or they know him. And the NABC experience that he had was really special to me. The year I worked there, the Final Four was in Phoenix. So having the opportunity to work the All-Star game and be a part, be a staff member for one of the All-Star teams was very special and work with these guys that you see on TV. And it was the first All-Star game I've ever been a part of where they're not just throwing the balls out there. Justin, we were running sets. There were NBA scouts all over the gym. It was very well ran and intentional on getting these guys better. And that was really cool uh, to be a part of. 
And then Johns Hopkins, from that experience, I've never recruited student athletes that had the grades that those guys had. I didn't know you could find kids that had those high level of grades and could dribble a basketball. I always joked and told the kids I could help you with everything except your schoolwork. Don't ask me about that because I can't understand it. But working for Josh Leffler, he was the first coach I've ever seen that literally could talk to anybody. And you realize as you work with different student athletes, those stressors and anxiety that they have change. And working with high academic student athletes, they're perfectionists. So Josh was great at just coming in and cracking a joke or starting a film session with Stone Cold Steve Austin just to get the guys laughing. And then we're jumping right in. The analytics that we use are something that I stole and use now. I just never been around basketball like that before. I've never been a part of a program that ran the Princeton offense and variations of the Princeton offense. So that really helped stretch my IQ there. Being at the Division One level, there's a ton of things you steal from that. But one thing I'll say from coach that I really took was taking over a program that's never won at this level to now what they're doing. The first thing he did that I thought was really special was these guys had to feel like winners. Mm -hmm. So immediately, like the way we looked, there was a certain way that we looked. He really invested into getting a new locker room. So these guys had to feel and look like winners. And I always thought that was really neat because that's the first thing you felt mm -hmm. whenever you come anywhere is just what, you, what you're wearing, how you feel. And I thought he did a really incredible job of getting these guys to feel like winners and, and getting this program to look a certain way. And then as you start to move over a seat, which is what I was able to do, you got all these things I just shared with you. How can you get it into one? And I, I could tell you that first year, it wasn't for a lack of planning. I, I definitely had a lot of ideas. It was in that beginning phase of what works for you, what doesn't work for you, what's yours, what's more of someone else's and tweaking it. So that's that first year was figuring out what works and, and what fits me. This second year, I felt we, we saw a lot of improvement because I started to grow and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to use each of those places. So long answer, but that's how all those places cord into me. No, it's a perfect segue. And it's funny you mentioned that last piece about having all these ideas and these thoughts, and then you move over 18 inches and you got to figure out what actually works. And Brandon Laird, who actually played for Gary at UC Davis, he's the associate head coach at Sac State now. When he was on, he said, you've got this list of things you're going to do. You need to cut it in half, then you need to cut it in half again. And then you can actually have an opportunity to implement some things. But you mentioned exactly where I wanted to go next, which was when you moved over and you are now the head coach and you have now gone from a recommending body to a decision maker. What is the thing you realized very quickly that you needed to figure out? That your decisions affect way more people than yourself, way more people than yourself. And I'll go a step further. How you make those decisions is really important. So I'm different in this, and I get a lot of compliments on like, man, how are you so calm? And, and like, how do you have this demeanor of being calm? And me and, and Dietrich Taylor spent a lot of time together. He's asked me that as well. It's really knowing yourself. I think that's the most important part of any success is knowing yourself. So for me, I'm just not very good at making decisions when emotion is involved. Mm. So I'm going to take my time. I'm going to evaluate all options. If it's a decision that needs to be done quickly, we would have done a lot of things before it got to that point for me to at least have a bank of something to make that decision. But 
you know, as an assistant, all your suggestions you think are great, but as a head coach, you realize very quickly that those decisions really affect people more than just yourself or that individual that you thought it did. And I, I learned that very quickly. Taking that into account, and you are now going into year three. Year one was, let's call it normal. Year two, COVID, not normal, but you made it through. You got to have a modified season, and now you're prepping for year three. What would you say is the best thing that you do as a program, as a coach, that either you've taken with you from stop to stop, and it's been a foundational, non-negotiable in your program, or it's something that's just evolved as you've grown that you will take with you moving forward? I'm going to go two categories. So on the basketball court, like what people have seen and statistically what has changed is our ability to rebound the ball and defend and, and just keeping that a lot more simplistic than I did in the past. And recruiting towards that also was just two things that fans, our players, people that are close to me really were like, man, you guys really did a good job in, in that area. That was a good win for you. But just making what matters to winning a game as simplistic as possible. And I would say that's from a basketball standpoint. Mm -hmm. Those two things were huge. And then as far as just the program, I would say our ability or my ability to care and develop the individual. And I, I think a lot of coaches, it's one of my favorite questions I, I love to ask to any coaches. What do you do to develop your guys? What, what do you do? How do you develop them? But for me, I realize I'm not a book club coach. I'm not a quote coach. I'm not a let's meet and have leadership council coach. What I am is I'm going to pour my heart out and I'm going to tell you who I am, what this program is going to be about, and the right kids are going to be connected to that. And this quote is very used, but I believe in it. They'll never truly care how much I know to know how much I care. And I have to really lay down that foundational layer of that before I work with any individual. I don't even say this, and I hear a comment. I call it my common coaches speak. I don't even like to say, let's hold the guys accountable, hold them accountable. I like to say, lead them to accountability. Mm. And it's the first thing I do with anybody I coach is, you tell me what you want to do with this. It's a blank canvas. How would you like that picture to be painted? And Justin, you get great answers. I want to be an All-American. I want to be an All-Conference. I want to do this. I want to win. All those things. And I will intentionally write those things down. And I, each guy on my team has a file. I'll write it in there and I throw it in that file. And I immediately know when I leave from this seat to the court or speak with them, I now know how to direct them. Mm -hmm. And when there becomes conflict, which is an area of coaching that I think gets avoided, and I'm starting to really welcome it. Instead of saying, I'm holding you accountable, I'm telling you that's what you said you wanted to be. I didn't pick any of that stuff. And I'm telling you, you're out of alignment of those things. And I just come to realize, man, that when you start to frame relationships with that, it becomes a lot more authentic and they start to really know that you care a lot about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really thoughtful way to do it because you are giving them the power to frame what their aspirations are and then you're helping to 
put the bumpers up to lead them there. And it's not about the dictatorial nature of because I said so, it's more because you said so. Here's now what I have to do to serve you. And I think it's really thoughtful to empower them in that way and then walk alongside of them to help them achieve the goals that they have spelled out for you. It makes me wonder, and I don't know how much non-basketball you partake in from a sporting standpoint or an observation standpoint and what the department culture is like there at Salisbury, but I'm always curious what people have learned from watching others and specifically how other disciplines translate into basketball in your case. And if not, if that's not your jam, then, you know, all of the learning and intentionality you have put behind your personal growth, what are some of the best things you've been able to steal from others and implement in a way that maybe the average human wouldn't have seen possible? Yeah, I think the thing that stands out about our institution, our department, is it's nationally recognized for its winning. Our lacrosse coach has won 12 national championships. He's a Hall of Famer. And our field hockey coach has won three, I believe. She's in the Hall of Fame. Our women's lacrosse team, I, I know he's won. And they were a, a game away or, or a few goals away from winning a national championship. And they're on track to do that. Our baseball team is always very good. Our football team, they made it to the Elite Eight last year. So I work at an institution where every single day I walk past a trophy case and it's filled with national championships. Mm -hmm. And I'd be a fool to not only pick these people's brains, but to observe and watch what they do. And I'm not one of those coaches that score watches and says, hey, let me tweet out a congratulations. Good game. I go to practices, I watch, I'll ask questions because I work with some of the best coaches in the country of doing what they do. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things. I actually tweeted this out the other day. I said, when you stop learning, you stop living. And my wife is a lacrosse coach as well. I remember watching her practices and, and learning about cutting and different screening tactics. And I, I think there's just so many ways you can learn outside of just your sport. And I'm just very fortunate to be at a place, and I'm not just saying this because I feel this way, nationally it's recognized that we compete in several sports to win national championships. And, and that's what brought me here as well was, why can't our basketball program do that? We've had success here, but you know, why can't we take that next step up? Are you able to name one or two things that specifically you've been able to steal in the time that you're there watching the lacrosse team, the field hockey team, and then going, oh, we're doing this tomorrow. I, I think success leaves clues. And hmm. our lacrosse team, for instance, you'll always see a lacrosse player or players with a stick throwing a ball at a wall around our campus. It has become the norm. And you'll see it with the women's lacrosse team. You will see constantly around our campus student athletes running in groups. That is the culture of our track and field and our cross country team, not just in season. I'll see them running when it's cold outside. And from there, I immediately was like, we're stealing that. You, you should always hear a ball bouncing in our gym. And where I take this from our lacrosse coach is he's big into bring someone with you. Success is not a single journey. It's the ability to bring others with you. So we stole that and, it's the first thing I tell our guys is you're not allowed to be in the gym by yourself. 
and, and obviously being at our level, that's optional and, and those sorts of things. But as you establish a culture, which for me is connecting people, I want our guys to understand that you just going to the gym by yourself doesn't help us get better. Bring someone with you. And then I push them out of their comfort zone as well as if I'm comfortable just shooting with Justin, well, what about you shooting with that other teammate that you could get closer to, but you never do it? What's stopping you from making that text message or that call to doing that and bringing that guy with you? So that's the main thing I steal is you can walk around our campus or especially our athletic building. You're going to hear a ball keep hitting the wall. You're going to see students running around. And that's really the culture of, of our sports here is that the success leaves clues. I love that. And it's funny, my assistant AD is the lacrosse coach. And every year in the spring and actually throughout the rest of the year, exactly what you said, you never see a lacrosse kid without a stick in their hand and a ball. And they might not have anybody to throw to, but there's walls all over the place that they can get better at. And the idea of bring someone with you is hard to get them to understand. But once they do, it's compounding interest for your team. And so how to embed that, how to mirror that, how to point to, hey, this is why they're good. Look, you're never going to see them alone. I think that's really sage advice. And thank you for sharing that. Success leaves clues. And success often comes from repeated failure and learning opportunities to then find that success. And you mentioned earlier your story, the first time through Salisbury University that you had some information to share if I asked. So I'm asking, tell that story. How did that help? get you to where you are now? What did you learn through the steps that you had to go through initially? Yeah, I'm going to be as quick as I can. But my office that I sit in and we're recording this in is the exact same office I was cut in. So I was cut from the exact same desk that I now sit at and run a program and make major decisions. So that's going to immediately bring a humility, joy that the average person isn't going to have because I don't know a lot of coaches, if any, that have a story like that. But my athletic journey, Justin, out of high school in Ohio, there's some great Division three institutions. Uh, it's one of the best, I would say, from a state standpoint of Division three institutions uh, in the country. They're, they're great programs. But I was always one of those players that was young, always playing uh, a level up than he should have been and need to develop. And I really wasn't looking at Division three institutions, to be honest with you. I, I didn't have a lot of education about it. This was before Twitter and all those things. So, yeah, I, I knew right away that if that's Division three, then I'm not Division one. The middle is where I should be. Mm -hmm. So from a lack of education and direction standpoint, I, I blew off uh, a lot of really good academic institutions that were recruiting me mm -hmm. and, and wanted to try my, my luck. And I got really, really late playing in an event, a walk-on opportunity at a Division II school in Western Pennsylvania called Edinburgh University. And, and I realized very quickly that I wasn't as good as I, I thought I was. And, and the joke I have is yeah, they let me walk on after the year they told me to walk off. So that was a very painful but reality check for, for me. But it was eye-opening in the sense of everybody's good where they are. You have to go a level up whenever you go to, to something new. Mm -hmm. And then my family had moved from Ohio to Maryland. And I was like, well, I'm getting recruited by all these division three schools. I should be able to just reach out to them and go play. Mm -hmm. And this school attracted me. The education part attracted me, the location being near the beach after being probably one of the most coldest places I've ever been for a year. So I was just like, let's try my luck and reached out. And 
to make a long story short, I was one of the last people that came into this office and just told me, hey, you're a good player. You're definitely good enough to play at this level, but we're going to go another direction. And it was very hard. It was very hard to be released from two college programs. You think immediately that you're a failure. You, you don't see basketball being part of your future. And I ran track here. And, and how that happened is the track coach was driving uh, his car and, and stopped by the track and saw me with track spikes on and looked like I knew what I was doing. And it was ironic that he was from Ohio. So I said where I was from and he knew exactly about it. And he said, I'm looking for track athletes. You, you should come join my team. And I just was like, I'm a ball player, man. So you're talking to the wrong guy. And then he was like, what team do you play for? And it shut me up because I wasn't playing for anybody. So I was glad through prayer and humility of that conversation that I went by his office to, to go talk to him. And I say this, this experience that I got running on that track team was the most special experience of my life because track's a very individual sport, but I've never been a part of a track team, which makes our track program so special, where people were so connected and you had several people cheering on the sideline. I was a jumper. I've never had that many people cheering and, and high-fiving you after you brush yourself off out of the sand pit. And then immediately just gave me the joy and feeling that I missed of being part of a team. Right. And I worked at a basketball camp that summer and was working out. And a coach from a school I never heard of called Frostburg State University was watching me and asked where I played. And I was like, oh, don't play anywhere. I'm going to try and walk on here because I'm playing well against these guys. He took a chance on me. And that first year was very challenging. Didn't play a lot as I thought I should. My best friend, who was a teammate of mine on that team was murdered to, to gun violence. And um, just really questioning like, well, why am I here? This is crazy that all this stuff's happening. And I you know, was able to pivot that first year and have a really good senior year and win some awards and be one of the last class to have a winning season so far since that program has been division three. So that was my athletic journey and, and pull from that a lot of things. But I think the one that really sticks with me to this day is just continuing to have joy of where you are and reflecting on where you are and to pour into others as much as possible. Great story. And again, as things just tend to segue with this deal, right, there's a failure that was really important to you and your growth. And you were able to lean into that and find a way to make success out of that learning opportunity versus letting it break you. Now, Knowing you and listening to everything you've shared, you're obviously someone that's always looking to improve and always looking to move the needle a little bit and get better. So this question may be a little bit more challenging to answer. So I'm going to frame it differently. Usually I ask something along the lines of, hey, how has your approach to coaching changed? And, and you've described a lot of that already, but I'm curious, what have you most recently changed your mind on? I used to think this and now I think this and here's why. Just an understanding that everyone learns differently and being as creative as possible to hit all those learning styles. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give a quick example to what that means. In only way I'm, I'm using this person as a reference, but they're not nearly like this person, but Dennis Rodman, I, I thought what was really cool about the last dance was how Phil Jackson coached him differently. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a player on my team that very consistent wins the most in anything we do very high IQ, you can count on him, but his work ethic and his habits are a lot different from mine. So I would butt heads with him at times because I'm thinking, 
how I worked from that story I share with you, the process for me was a lot different than you. Why aren't you doing this? If you want to win, you need to do it the way I did it. When in reality, him and I had a conversation about a month ago and I said, I figured you out. And he's like, what? And I started laughing. I said, I realized that this is what you need to be successful, but you also need this space of being able to feel like you're having a really good time and, and unplug. So I coach you differently. I realized that you need that space. So I have to give you that space in the off season. And you've now built a rapport with me where you're consistent. I know what I'm counting on you. And as long as you understand the standards of our team and how to represent us, then you do what you have to do. But understand once the season's on, you have to be as aligned with every single person. But you and I can have communication when it gets really challenging for you on how we can create that space. So what that looks like in season, I might go up to him and say, hey, we got about five minutes left to practice. How do you want to finish it? And if he says knockout, I have the humility to, to know my team and trust his pulse on the team that we'll play knockout where I want to be, we're going to run this drill and we're not going to stop practice until we score out of this play. Mm -hmm. And I just realized him being a leader and heavy influence on our team, that's not reaching him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the main thing that, that I pull in learning is understanding that everybody needs something different from me, but I am the root that extends this fully made tree that we want to be. That is also fascinating because if you can figure out guys and what makes them tick, you often can get more out of them than trying to put them all in a box. And early in your career, probably like mine, it's, hey, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. And I'm at a point now where it's like, hey, we're starting at this time, be on the line. And I, got, I had a guy that would roll in there, putting his shoes on as we were starting and he played harder, he won everything. I couldn't take him off the court. And it was like, whatever, if that's what he needs to do to get ready. The last question, coach. You were starting over today and your one year landing spots at each place journey that you've been through where you were able to glean a lot. And I'm sure you wouldn't change that for anything. So I'm not going to ask you what you would do differently, but I am going to ask you what advice would you give your younger self to help you get to this point quicker? The word patience stands out to me a lot and being patient in everything. And being patient with yourself, understanding that just like the players, their best way of learning is getting those reps. And there's this great thing, I'm going to kind of branch off here, but come back, but training ugly. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but there was a volleyball coach at Hopkins that practiced so much different than anything I've ever seen. And I, I stole that from him in a sense that there's an ugly part of the process and everything that you do. And just understanding that it's going to be ugly but being patient during that process and sticking to what you believe but also being open to sharpen whatever tools need to be sharpened in the toolbox and i guess the example i give is offensively we play a really free-flowing style where i say we don't run plays they're all concepts and reads a lot of coaches like that but you got to be very patient in a sense of how ugly that might be to start especially if you have a lot of new players and that's why a lot, I know for me, my first year was like, let me just get a new play so we can complete passes and make a shot. Where this year I, I felt we did a good job as a staff on really sticking to, look, this is how we're gonna play. They're gonna get it. 
they're going to get it. And it's a style of play and a method where it might not be pretty to start, but you're playing your best basketball at the time where you need it to, if you stick with it and you keep teaching it. And I think to hammer that nail home, whatever you decide you got to commit to for the long run, at least through that season, because the more you're trying to pivot and change foundational principles, the more lost and cluttered it's going to be. And it is going to be messy. I often say, you know, I'll get home. How, how was practice? Well, we didn't get better today. What do you mean? It was too clean. Like it looked really good <laughs> versus the days where you're coming home. Wow. That was a mess. But you got better. So it's a great way to end this. I thank you for being here today. I know you got a ton on your plate and uh, appreciate you taking the time. Man, honor. Thanks again for having me. I lied. I have one more question for you. You mentioned earlier that your coaching journey was very short stays at most places and that this is the longest place you've been. And when we talk outside of the podcast, you often mention the concept and idea of being rooted as a foundational principle for you. And you even mentioned it as the root of this tree we're trying to grow. During that period of transience, and even now as three years is a really long time for you to be in one place, how have you been able to stay rooted and stay focused on that concept that's so important to you? That's a great question. I think in regards to my journey, coaching, I tell people, especially young coaches, it's like the military. You, you never know where your next step's going to be, but you work extremely hard as if you're going to be there for the rest of your life. And the most important thing to me that's always been, staying with the word rooted, has been the players. So my greatest success is not the two NCAA tournaments I was able to be at, the Division One turnaround, or winning this game, or, or beating this ranked opponent, or being the Division One team. My most like proud, and my, I would say my most rewarding thing for me is when each of those players reach out to me and and share how they're doing, or ask me how they're doing, or how how I'm doing, or, or share an award with me. And I've been very fortunate that every job I've been at, somebody from that institution has remained and wanted to stay connected with me. And I think that shares to the concept of being rooted in, in that piece of vulnerability. And that's what I care about the most. Before we got on here, I had an action-packed day. I went to a signing for a guy that's about to come here. And I took pictures with our graduating senior that's decided to come back for a fifth year. I attend barbecues. One guy I went and attended a dance recital for his sister to get him. And then he invites me to his graduation four years later. So I didn't get to coach him all four years, but it's just that piece of staying connected to all those places that means a lot to me. At Hopkins, I had a young man who I didn't coach, but I was heavily involved in his recruiting process. His mother texted me last week saying, hey, we just thank you for being an important piece in his life. Today's his birthday, and I'm just really reaching out to all the people that have been very important to helping him be who he is. And in my head, I'm sitting there like, I didn't coach that kid anything. I didn't teach him how to shoot a jump shot yet. But what that says to me is during that process, how much I gave to them outside of just, I work at this institution, I'm showing up at your games, come play for us. And, and that's where that rooted analogy comes from is 
really being connected to developing that whole person and caring about them reaching the success that they wanted to get to. Yeah, and it just takes you right back to what you said at the beginning, which is relationships matter. And if you invest in those, it allows you to build on top of them intentionally or organically, just based on having a common bond. And so that makes perfect sense. And thank you for clarifying that because obviously the military analogy is a great way to figure that one out, right? You don't know how long you're gonna be here, but act like you're gonna be here forever. Yeah, and if I can go a step further, like taking a job, that's one of the questions people might ask is you bounced around a lot. So what's wrong with you? I tell people all the time, none of those places I was forced out of, but when opportunity arises where there are more things that can help you have a better life, you do have to consider those. And every one of those jobs got me closer to being full time, mm-hmm. which is what I've always wanted to do is my day being focused on helping our basketball team and helping these student athletes get better while also being able to take care of my family. And I tell people all the time, it took eight years for me to make money coaching basketball. A lot of that was me being a substitute teacher, being an adjunct professor. I flipped pizzas, doing whatever I could to make sure I'm giving everything I can to that place mm-hmm. during that time period. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome story. Appreciate it, coach. No problem. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach. And he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.